Hi, sexy people. I know you have questions about sex, love, and relationships, and I'm here to help. I want to hear about what you're going through in your life, and I want to answer all of your questions about sex. So The Trouble with Sex has launched Ask Dr. Tammy. Go to thetroublewithsex.com and click on Ask Dr. Tammy to send me your questions. I'm going to answer them directly on the podcast or during my new Instagram live events. Don't worry, we're going to keep your identity anonymous so you can be open and honest and ask me anything you want. Send your questions to thetroublewithsex.com, Ask Dr. Tammy. I'm here to give you advice, answer your questions, and help open your mind and your heart to help you improve your relationships and your sex life. Today we have a serious topic to talk about. I'm going to talk about something that's super personal to me. Some of you know that uh, Rich Simon recently died, November 10th, 2020. Rich Simon was the editor of the Psychotherapy Networker magazine, and he also was the ringmaster of the Networker Symposium Conference, which has been going on now for a long time. So as editor for 40 years of a really big magazine in the psychotherapy field, Rich Simon changed the conversation around mental health and psychotherapy. He also introduced the idea of sexuality into psychology because he was open to the conversation. He was open to people like me uh, who wanted to talk about sex and couples therapy and sex and relationships at big, giant conferences in front of 5,000 people. And Rich's death has really hit me hard over the past week and a half. And uh, I know many of you out there who are professionals in this field feel the same way. And so I I want to talk about mental health during the pandemic because some of you might have heard that Rich Simon took his own life. And I've known Rich for over 30 years, and I've been friends with his wife, which is how I met him, who's also a psychotherapist. And I was blessed to call him my friend and also my mentor. And the thing about Rich is <laughs> I know a lot of people who feel the same way, who feel that he was their dear friend and their mentor. I would not be sitting at this mic today if it wasn't for him. And I would not have the career or the books that I have if it wasn't for his support and his encouragement. Rich was someone who really believed in me. And so I wanted to talk today about what does it mean to have people in your life that believe in you and how how does that work for you? How do you find them? And how do you take care of yourself during this crazy time that we're in right now during the pandemic? We're about to go into another lockdown. COVID has taken over many of our lives. Many people have gotten sick or have died. You probably know people who have and my heart goes out to you. And I want to know how you are taking care of yourself. So please write to me at thetroublewithsex.com. You know, there's so much to miss about Rich. He was an instigator, a showman. He used to sing and dance on stage at the networker in front of thousands of people. You know, he was the Mick Jagger of psychotherapy. And he also could listen 
like nobody I knew. He had a presence about him that was incredible. He was also the most brutal editor I ever had. We used to joke around that if you wrote an article for Rich, you would have been Simonized. And, you know, he could bring you to tears like nobody else. And he shared the spotlight with people like no one I knew. Like he created a space for me and for other people so that we could be heard and we could step into that spotlight. We could step into that center ring and be seen. And he believed in who I was, just like he did for other people. He believed in my potential and he would push me. What are you working on? What do you believe in? What's happening with sex? What's going on in the world of sexuality and relationships? What what are you thinking is happening with open relationships? Let's talk about it. Let's put it on the cover of the magazine. Because my article, The New Monogamy, was on the cover of the Networker magazine, I got a book deal because he had the courage to talk about open relationships (laughs) at a time when psychotherapy wasn't quite ready to deal with that. He helped that whole topic to just explode. There was a time when I was presenting at the conference and I was in the tent in the back of the hotel because the sex people, you know, were kind of hidden in the back room. And I gave a talk on pushing your boundaries, pushing your edges as a therapist. And I had a panel of people come in to to demonstrate different kinds of sex, including BDSM, which is bondage, discipline, sadomasochism. And I had someone come in to demonstrate spanking. And they gave an actual spanking demo. And people people were crowded around. There was hundreds of people in the tent listening to my talk. And they crowded around the, the demo of the spanker and the spanky. And afterwards, it was all anyone was talking about at the conference. And Rich got letters from two ther- two or three therapists, maybe four therapists, who wrote to him and said that was really violent, and that was not like that was not therapy. And I watched the whole thing from right up front, and I could see the pinking of this woman's cheeks, and I I was right there. I watched the whole thing. And Rich and I had a long conversation about how I had warned the whole room, you know, if this is offensive to you, you should leave now. Okay, it's time to leave. Okay, you should leave now. Okay, everyone leave if you don't want to see it. And how how amused he was by the dichotomy of our of our interest in sex and our repulsion and the things that scared us. And he, he, he supported me and he also laughed along with me when, you know, my reputation was as the therapist who brought spanking to the networker for many years. And he also encouraged me a couple of years ago to do a moth talk. If you don't know what a moth talk is, it's a talk that's 10 minutes or less with no notes. And it has to be a true story, something personal that's happened to you. He helped me by editing my talk and he pushed me and pushed me to talk about something that was super personal to me, which was my childhood. And some of you know a little bit about me, but majority have never heard about my crazy dysfunctional childhood. But the reality is, is I grew up in my early childhood in the circus. My father worked for Clyde Beatty Cole Brothers. And the talk was really personal to me in that I told a story about how my father was the ringmaster, literally, in the center ring of the circus. And I never felt like he picked me. He told me he would pick me to ride the elephant around the ring of the circus. I was very young, probably younger than six. 
And I remember that feeling so well of like jumping up and down in the stand saying, you know, pick me, pick me, because he always told me he would pick me and he never picked me. He always picked some other little girl, probably probably the daughter of some mother that like he was flirting with or someone that gave him money or someone that was more beneficial to him in some way. But I wrote... I wrote that story because I had just come back from giving my TEDx talk. And the story was about finally getting to the center ring and what that felt like. That I realized as I stood in that spotlight on the round red carpet of the TED talk that I had arrived. You know, it had taken me 50 years, but I had somehow arrived in that center ring and when I stood up on that stage and Rich Simon was in the front in the front row looking up at me, I just remember thinking, it's because of Rich that, you know, I was under the spotlight and I was in the truly in the center ring because it was always Rich's circus. You know, he was always the ringmaster of this gigantic party. And to be invited there into the world of psychotherapy, I was, I, you know, I was legitimized. And I know many of you have that too, that imposter syndrome. But my whole life, I felt like a fraud because of that. And, and that's what I talked about in that talk. And I felt like um, a freak. And in the talk, we had to talk about our most difficult client session. And I talked about a guy who was a 64-year-old guy who walked into my office. He was a cross-dresser. He came in in women's clothing and a bad wig. And and we talked about you know what that felt like to not fit in and I talked about what it felt like to be on the outside of your life. And it was the most impactful talk I'd ever given. And I've spoken all around the world. And I have talked to thousands of people and have had a really wonderful career of talking about sex and relationships. And I got down off that stage and Rich, like, hugged me and said this this was the highlight for him of the whole conference that year. And it was a highlight for me in my life. And then several weeks later, I got a letter from someone that said, you know, they've started a Facebook group against you (laughs) online. And they're saying that you're transphobic because you talked about this cross-dresser and called them a freak. And they apparently had started writing letters to the editor of the magazine and had created (laughs) created a, a gathering of therapists against me that said that I should lose my license for talking about this cross-dresser in the way that I had and calling them a freak, totally missing the whole point of what I was saying about my personal life and this what I considered this momentous turning point in my career and really wrote hate letters about me. And Rich called me and talked to me about it for hours and hours and encouraged me not to give up on my career, not to become like, you know, a dog trainer or whatever I was thinking at the time. And talk to me about the change and the shift in the environment of the internet and in the environment of psychotherapy and to not go back inside myself out of fear. And, you know, what some people don't know about Rich is how he suffered all his life from bipolar disorder and that he was seriously chronically depressed. And, you know, depression, if if it affects any of you, which it affects most of us, you have a friend or family member or a personal life. To be able to get out of yourself enough to help other people when you're feeling the darkness of depression is truly a miracle. And the fact that he was able to be there for me and for so many other people, I have so much respect for that man. And he helped me write my letter to the editor, which was him, in response to the letters that he printed 
in the magazine that were against me. You know, he tried to respect everyone's position while at the same time aligning and letting me know that he was my ally. And, you know, fighting that darkness that he had while at the same time letting each person that he worked with feel like they were the most special person in the world is something that to be wildly respected. And it also says something about our mental health challenges today that for someone who had every possible potential healing modality at his fingertips, his best friends were the top psychotherapists in the field of healing. He tried everything. He asked everyone, what do you got? What's the best? What's coming down the pike? You know, what are the the most contemporary healing methodologies for depression, for bipolar disorder? How can I get out of this? And his friends tried to help. He did everything at the end. He had done ECT. He had done ketamine therapy. He had done every type of psychotherapy known to man. And he had a loving family. He had thousands of dear friends. He had an incredibly successful career. He had meaning in his life. And yet in the very end, what worked for him was to have agency over his own survival here on the planet. And I have feelings about that, as I'm sure you do. Suicide brings out a lot of anger and frustration in people. It also affects all of us. Everyone has known someone who has suicided, and all of us are affected when someone chooses to take their own life. And many of you have friends or family members that have done it, and so it's a it's a conversation I think that we need to have in the mental health field. I think it's a conversation that needs to be more out in the open. It's just like sex. We don't talk about it. And, you know, I have always been someone that's pushed the edge. <laughs> Thanks to people like Rich, I've had a platform to do it. And I've taken a lot of hits for it. When I first started talking about the new monogamy and I wrote the book about open relationships, I got hate mail from therapists saying I was fostering up infidelity. When I talked about S&M and spanking, I got hate letters saying I was fostering abuse. You know, talking about suicide is so close to our values as humans and so close to our beliefs about life and death. And yet it's also really close to our ideas about passion. You know, eroticism at its core is based on the word eros. And eros was the Greek god of love and passion. And he stole all the passion he could get. He, like, was a player. He slept with everyone. The Romans stole him and made him Cupid. He was not a nice person, not a nice god. Uh, But his girlfriend was Psyche. And, you know, Eros and Psyche are intimately connected. And Eros is the life force. It's passion. It's aliveness. We all want eroticism. We all want to feel passion and alive. And... But the opposite of that is Thanatos. Thanatos, or Thanos, was the death force. He was the Greek god of death and destruction. He took the ships and smashed them on the rocks. And he, he's in all of us as well. Freud talked about that as the death instinct, the, the desire to put your head under the pillow at the end of the day, the need to drink too much to disappear. You know, in Buddhism, nirvana is the extinction of the light. It's also heaven. And right now, at this point, we are teetering in this period of time where there's so much 
death force. It's all around us. We can't deny it. And it's forcing us to look at where our passion is, where our love is. What does it mean to be alive when there's so much death? And those two forces are so parallel and yet polarized, just like bipolar. My brother is bipolar, and I've watched him struggle with addiction and homelessness, and I've watched where it can take people. It can take you so far down into destruction and self-destruction, or like Rich, it can take you so far up into creation, following your passion and doing things for others in a passionate, expansive, wild way, like like wildfire. I think we need to accept both that because they're both inside of all of us. And as we get through this pandemic, I want to encourage you all to find ways to to honor your mentors and the people that have helped you and also to find ways to take care of yourself. Like self-care, I know all of us are drinking too much, eating too much, and there's a lot of depression in frontline workers, mental health workers. There's increase in suicide, and there's an increase in all kinds of mental health issues in people that are isolated and in lockdown and have lost their social connections. And now we're going to the holidays and it's going to be even more difficult for many people. And so I want to encourage you to find the things that you're passionate about, find the things that you love, that are important to you and inside of you, that have meaning in your life, that you can that you can do from home, that you can do to yourself, that you can pleasure yourself. Masturbation is actually a way to expand the energy of self-pleasuring. Find the small things that have meaning to you, taking walks, finding the earth, doing yoga, putting flowers in your house, getting a pet, and reach out to someone who you want to be your mentor. You'd be surprised how many people would say yes if you ask them for help. Don't ask them if you could interview them for an hour or if you can go out for coffee. They don't have time. Ask them a specific question or ask them for an idea. I've been blessed to have a couple of mentors in this field. Peggy Vaughn was the author of The Monogamy Myth. She died in 2012 and she she believed in my ideas about the future of marriage and the future of monogamy, which is partly why I have a new book coming out open monogamy, because she encouraged me to keep writing. Gina Ogden, who wrote The Return of Desire, who died in 2018, we did a lot of work together, and she believed in sex and spirituality, and she believed in women and sexuality. She encouraged me to explore my voice around feminism and sexuality, and she will never be forgotten. And William Granzig, who started the American Board of Sexology, who died in the last couple of years, who, when I got my PhD, looked me in the eye and said, I always knew you could do it. And just in closing, I just wanted to thank Rich and his family. So to all my listeners out there, really take care of yourself. Stay hopeful, stay passionate, stay healthy, stay sexy. Until next time. Have a question about your relationship, your sex life, or sexual wellness? Visit thetroublewithsex.com and click on Ask Dr. Tammy to send me your question. For sex-positive tips, live events, and updates, join my mailing list and follow us at The Trouble With Sex on Instagram. 
The Trouble with Sex is produced by Brandy Savitt and Jane Applegate. Our audio is designed by Flavor Lab, New York City. This episode was engineered by Kevin Jarvis at Sonic Boom Room in Venice, California, and mixed by J.C. Chow. Music by Bruce Hirschfield. Bruce Hirschfield.